Good morning. Again. I hear some static. Do you guys hear it? Okay. Uh, it's really good to be with you. I've already said a little bit about uh, what I want to say, but uh, I, I haven't preached a sermon on baptism yet, and I thought this would be a wonderful day to do so. Uh, we've got uh, what I said in the bulletin, or if we had a bulletin, but uh, what I called a, uh, a living, breathing object lesson uh, in front of us, you know, uh, and it's, it's a good day to talk about what just happened And so uh, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about baptism and what that means to us and for us. And uh, you'll hear me encourage you uh, to indeed remember your baptism. But before we do, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we give you praise. We're so grateful uh, for days like this where we get to rejoice together where we come to sing together, most importantly, we come to praise you, to offer our praises back to you in in song and word and in the reading of your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning uh, that our hearts indeed be aligned to your heart and that you speak to us through your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. So uh, a common phrase when one is baptized uh, is, is to say, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. And uh, I would say that uh, to do so in the Baptist tradition is one that is quite natural. Actually, in, in preparation for this, uh, it was interesting to read uh, some different accounts online uh, about how people approach this. So in the Baptist tradition, uh, we baptize usually when somebody is old enough to remember it. And so you can literally remember your baptism. And there are other faiths out there or other denominations that uh, practice a different form of baptism, uh, a pedo-baptism, where uh, someone is uh, baptized as, as an infant. And so to remember one's baptism in that context might not make a lot of sense, right? Or you might think so anyway. Like, how could you remember your infant baptism? And I'll even say, when I was a a little baby, I was baptized as an infant. I didn't know this until I was like 20 years old. (laughs) And I told my parents, how did I not know this, right? Because at some later point in my uh, life, I had, we had joined the Southern Baptist Church uh, in town. We all got baptized together as a family. And so like, I thought that was, uh, that was baptism to me, and it always was. And, and if I'm being honest, that is the form of baptism that I hold to and that our church holds to, our denomination certainly holds to as well, uh, is some sort of, uh, it's, a, it's a believer's baptism. It's a baptism you can remember. But either way, to remember one's baptism is to say something maybe even a little richer still. The language of remembrance comes out of the Old Testament and the New, but specifically the Old Testament. God tells the Israelites any number of times to remember that he was the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, right? Who brought them out of slavery. 
he's reminding them of this well after the time in which people had died off and, uh, who were part of that slavery, who were, who were part of that movement out of Egypt. But he's reminding them, and he's, he's telling them to remember this about themselves. Because there's something going on there. In their identity, there's something that happened, even if one doesn't quite able, isn't able to think about it themselves. And so I don't know for you, if you have been baptized, maybe that day was not as momentous as it was for some of us. I actually remember the day I was baptized the second time uh, quite clearly. I remember very clearly uh, my, my family standing, waiting in the wings, much like this, actually. And we were all very nervous, as we were all this morning, uh, behind the scenes, and trying to, uh, you know, get ready for the big moment. And so I have a lot of uh, emotional memory tied to that day. Um, but maybe you don't. And maybe the words, remember your baptism, kind of wash over you, and, and you're not quite sure what to do with that. Well, if that's the case for you, uh, then I want to help you out a little bit. Because I think, just like the Israelites who were in bondage, well, so you too should remember the bondage from which Christ freed you. That is part of what is happening in baptism. And just like those Israelites who were brought into a new land and a new life, well, so you too should remember that the new life, that there was new life given to you through Christ. Even if you can't quite think of your baptism, this is a time of reflection where we all corporately come together and we remind ourselves from whence we came. So today, I want you to remember your baptism. And when I say that this morning, I want to talk about it in three different ways. Three different ways. And what is baptism? So the first way I want you to think about it is this. It is indeed a covenant moment. Our scriptures are filled with covenants. There are many, of, many covenants that happen along the way, and the covenants exist sometimes be between uh, two uh, human parties or between like a king uh, and the, uh, the empire. But the ones I'm interested in are the ones that exist from God to humanity. And so God makes a covenant with Abraham, for example, and Abraham's children. And God makes a covenant with Moses and through Moses to all the people of Israel. And then God makes a new covenant later on in the prophets, and he makes these promises about what is to come. But then most importantly for today, God makes a covenant through the person of Jesus Christ. Through that death and that burial and that resurrection that I asked our candidates about, through that moment, God makes a covenant with all of us. We are all able to enter into this covenant moment. In a covenant, if, you, if, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with the language, uh, is, is indeed actually a dying breed, but it, it's, it's making a commitment in life. It's saying at some point in your life, I am committing to this thing, and I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it through thick and through thin. Covenants should not be entered into lightly. 
perhaps you heard that on your wedding day. This should not be entered into lightly. I would say the same of baptism, actually. It should not be entered into lightly. And so anyone who goes through the, the, the waters of uh, our baptismal pool, I meet with them, and I, and I talk with them, and I make sure they know what they're doing. They know the commitment that they're entering into and the significance of this moment. And they're putting a, a, a flag in the ground, and they're saying, no matter what, from here on out, through thick and through thin, through times uh, where I'm feeling elated and spiritually high to times where I'm feeling spiritually low and where God is seemingly hard to find. Through all that, I will remain faithful because God has remained faithful to me. That is what one is saying in baptism. It's a whole lot like marriage, or it, it, it's, it's like what marriage should be, frankly, because when you uh, come before the altar and you prepare to marry your spouse, what you're saying to that person is, it doesn't matter if we're 18 years old and we don't know what in the world we're doing. We're still babies, right? Uh, excuse, sorry. Uh, you're not babies, but there's, a, there's still a lot of growth to happen. I think we can all agree. A lot of growth to happen after age 18. But whether or not you, you are 18 and, and you haven't really quite wrapped your head around the ideas of the world and what's happening in this life, or if you're 40 and you're getting married and, and you're entering in this with like full cognition and you know uh, the trappings of what marriage can bring, either way, you are making a commitment and it's a lifelong commitment. And you're saying, I'm putting my flag in the ground and with this person through thick or with thin, through thin, uh, whether uh, we come upon hard times uh, or whether uh, everything is going right, I will stick with this person. This is what a covenant is. This is what commitment is. I've encouraged uh, this congregation in the past, and I want to encourage you again, to be people of commitment, people who make commitments and keep them, whether it's a commitment to faith, perhaps the most important commitment you can make, whether it's a commitment to marriage, maybe it's a commitment to a career, maybe it's a commitment to your family or your children, whatever that might be. Be people who make commitments and keep them. The second thing that I would want to say about baptism this morning is that it involves confession. Confession. And here I mean the word confession in three distinct ways, actually. Confession uh, is probably, in part, what you're thinking of, which is the confession of sin. And in fact, I, I do ask the candidates, do you repent of your sins, right? Are you confessing this state of being? And are you trusting in, in the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of those sins? And they must say, I do. Like, I, I confess to this. This is my past. This is who I was. And it's not just individual sin, as good as that uh, might be. You know, I, I did this one thing here, or this one thing there, and I really messed up the other day there. It's a commitment, or it's a, it's a statement, confession, that uh, one is indeed in a place of being a sinner, in need of a Savior in need of redemption. 
And this is what it means to be baptized, to come to this place where you realize that's who I am and I need somebody to come along and to save me from that place of being, that old way of being. Secondly, though, confession actually means another thing, and, and it's a very different kind of thing. It's a confession of belief. It's like a statement of faith. It's a credo, which is a Latin term for me that means I believe. And it gets at a, a different sort of confession. I confess certain beliefs. And so when someone comes and they, they, well, they read the Apostles' Creed, they will say things like, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son. Right? And they say a statement of beliefs. We also need to be people of faith, which is to say people of beliefs that have some content to them. In the pool up there, I asked the candidates, do you believe that Jesus died in accordance with the scriptures, was buried, and was raised again from the dead according to the scriptures? And those questions aren't random questions just kind of haphazardly slopped together. The questions actually come directly from 1 Corinthians 15. And what's happening in 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul is trying to remind the Corinthian people, this is what I preached. And what I preached is exactly what all of the other apostles preach. And these are things that we all have in common. And that is that we all believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was crucified. That he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day, and all of this is according to Scripture, Paul says. And there's a content to our faith that must be in place if it is to be a faith at all. Surely more could be said than those three things, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But I do think it's a good start. Because if we can't even start with that historical nucleus of what happened on that day 2,000 years ago, then I'm afraid we're in different ballparks altogether. This morning, I'm very grateful for the two candidates that came and were baptized. But I do want to keep you in the mix here. And so I'd ask all of you, do you believe that Jesus Christ died? Do you believe that he was buried? And do you believe that he was raised on the third day? And here's why it matters. It matters because that trajectory is our trajectory too. This is our hope, that we too are dead and buried and will be raised again with Christ. This is what we're putting all of our eggs in. This is the basket that carries it all. And we say, this is what we believe. This, too, is our hope. This is our future. The third kind of confession is slightly different yet. And this one is a public confession of faith. A public, saying something to all of, well, you, 
here. This is what I asked of our candidates as well, that they state plainly and clearly that they indeed believe these things. Romans 10.9 is one of these passages that most children have to memorize at some point that we've all heard many times. And it says if, that, if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you too will be saved, right? If we confess this. And so I specifically asked Natalie and Carmen, do you confess these things? And I said, do you come this morning to make a public confession that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? And they both said, I do. And I would ask the same of you this morning. Do you confess these things aloud to us? Do you still believe them? Are you willing to stand before the crowds and say, yes, I believe? Why is it important to make this public confession? I think there are two reasons. The first is the simple one. Scripture says we should, right? But I, I think there's something more underneath that. Why is it important to make a public confession? Is because uh, for as much as our American culture wants us to believe, uh, we do not actually have a faith in which it's just me and Jesus. There is no such thing as an individualistic faith. We have a faith that is rooted in 2,000 years of history. There are far too many other believers out there in the world that there is no such thing as going it alone. We are in this together, whether you like it or not. And so when we publicly confess, what we're saying is that you and I we're brothers, and you and I were sisters, and that this family of God thing, that we really believe it, and through thick and through thin, and through the difficulties of family, and through the joys of family, we're going to get to the end together. That is what we are saying on this morning. Third thing, last thing, baptism. What's happening? What's going on? And here, I tried to get fancy and use a second or third uh, C word. <laughs> I've got commitment, and I've got confession, and I just I kind of racked my brains, and I went with uh, uh, identity. <laughs> identity. We are given in this space and in this time a new identity. I have been reading a lot of Eugene Peterson lately, uh, but this comes from his son. His name is Eric Peterson. He's still a pastor to this day. Eugene Peterson uh, has passed away not too long ago, uh, but his son still preaches. Uh, and he wrote this story, and uh, I quite enjoyed it. And it has everything to do with identity and with baptism. And it goes like this. He says, I shall never forget the scene. With a mug of black coffee in hand, I was on a walk through the woodsy rural neighborhood early one spring morning, and as the sun began to bathe the landscape with light, I came over a hill, and I was able to look down into a horse corral where I saw my neighbor, Mary, hunched over a foal. And as I came closer, it became apparent that the foal had just been born. 
She was unsteady on her hooves and still wet. And while the mother mare stood close by and kept a watchful eye, Mary straddled the foal, pressing her face up against the side of the newborn's face, vigorously rubbing its neck. I had never seen anything quite like that before, he says. But it all looked very intimate, up close, personal, even affectionate. A day or two later, he ran into Mary in the post office, and he, and he asked, what was going on that day? And the lady looks at him and is, is kind of frustrated, and she simply says one word, imprinting. But seeing that the word wasn't quite enough, she continued and she said, if in the first hours of its life, a horse is exposed to you, where it gets your, your smell, and it hears your voice, it's much easier to train as it grows up. From now on, I'm like a surrogate mother to that horse, and it will respond to my voice, and trust me to lead it. We've bonded, she says. Imprinting. This is indeed a deep and meaningful relationship that is happening in the moment of baptism. There's an imprinting that happens with God. And we begin to hear the voice of Christ a little more clearly. We become acquainted with it. And it develops as we practice our baptisms, entering the rhythms of life of discipleship. Most significantly, as we exercise the holy affirmations and the holy denials of our new life. We say no to sin and to evil, and we say yes to the kingdom of God and to Jesus' way, and we hear the voice, and we heed the voice, and we get trained up in righteousness, and we become increasingly intimate with the Lord, who is the lover of our souls. In baptism, we are given a new identity. Paul makes this very clear in Romans 6, our passage from today. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk here and now we might walk in a newness of life, he calls it. A newness of life. There is a new identity given to us in the waters of baptism. This morning, I want you to remember your baptism. I want, to, I want you to remember who you were outside of the grace of Christ. For some of us, that takes some remembering way back. <laughs> but perhaps it's not all that hard. Remember the cleansing waters as they stirred your soul and began the sanctification process that will take a lifetime. I want you to remember that on that day you made a commitment. And today I want you to remake that commitment. I want you to remember that on that day you made a confession. And on this day, I want to remind you to 
to make that confession again. And I want you to remember that on that day you were given a new identity. An identity that supersedes all other identities out there. And there are lots of competing identities these days. It's kind of a buzzword. But we have this one. And it is standing above all other competing identities out there. It is the identity that will last into eternity and that binds all of us together in one family. And so if you would like, this morning, I'm going to offer you something you haven't been offered, or maybe since your baptism. I ask the candidates three questions, and I'm going to ask those questions of you right now. And if you would like to, you can say aloud with me, I do, at the appropriate moment. Do you come this morning to make a public profession that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? I do. Do you believe that Jesus died in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures? I do. And do you repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. I do. We were buried and uh, raised again uh, with Christ in his baptism. We were raised to walk in newness of life, and we are indeed a family of God. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come this morning on this joyful day, praising you. We come confessing, and we come committing, and we come reminding ourselves the identity that you gave us through your death and burial and resurrection, and we give you thanks. We put our hope in you, and Lord, we look forward to the day where we see you face to face. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is indeed our Lord, and our Savior, and our Redeemer, the hope of the world. Amen.